Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. This has been um, a really great month. So July is over. We're running into August now. And I was so fortunate that I was able to have my mom with me for the entire month of July. Uh, We got to spend the 4th of July, my birthday, um, my daughter Caroline was with us, and it was just really great enjoying summers and walking the beach and um, going to dinners and just just enjoying being together. Um, Took a little downtime and tried to tried to shake off the uh, the rat race, the rush, rush, rush that I always feel like I'm in. And, you know, we never know how much longer we're going to have with people. We lost my husband's father at Thanksgiving last year. And my mom's got tons of health issues. Um, She went Uh, She was living with us forever. She helped me raise my kids. Those of you who have read my book know how much I depended on her and her help with my daughter, Elizabeth, and my daughter, Caroline. And I just need to pay that back, you know, Um, really need to pay it back. My mom's been taking care of me for decades and just uh, really hasn't asked for, for anything in return. So mom was living with us, um, but then when the pandemic hit and I was still working and seeing people, given her health issues and being in crisis a lot, it made more sense for her to go and live with my sister who was working from home 100% and has been for the last two years. So I wasn't seeing my mom um, much for a while, not at all, just like all of you. And I can see the the difference just a few years have made on her. Um, Mom, I don't know if you're listening to this podcast, but hopefully none of what I'm saying will be too upsetting. Uh, But I feel like I'm watching my mom just kind of fade away in front of my eyes, you know? still has a lot of vitality. I love it. Um, But yeah, things are very different now. So I was thinking a lot about this last month that I've gotten to spend with my mom and my daughter, my husband and my dog, and all of the, you know, nice, not spectacular, splashy things, but just the nice things that we've been able to do together. And I was thinking about all of this as I was reading my um, my guest's book. So my guest this week is Judy Gammon, and she is a prolific author, seven award-winning books. She's a national speaker. She's the host of the Stay Young America podcast, which is fantastic. And she is an expert in the areas of health and wellness, especially women's health or executives health. Um, And she has taught me a lot through her book and in our conversation about 
the power of perspective and why not to be a workaholic. Um, and she talks a lot about the true meaning of friendship. Um, so she started out wanting to do a book on what it takes to live to a hundred years old. And she, in her practice, her medical practice, her husband is a doctor and she is managing the practice. Um, she, she's the CEO of executive medicine of Texas, but through working on this book, she met Lucille and Lucille became a fast friend of hers. And she decided that Lucille's story and their story together needed to be told. It is a beautiful story. It will make you laugh. Oh, there are parts that will make you cry. Um, her book, Love, Life, and Lucille, Lessons Learned from a Centenarian, hooks you from page one. And you have to get to the end. And I'm not going to tell you because the ending is wonderful. And, and when you get to the end, she explains and gets down to the most important piece of living to a hundred and also about this lasting friendship that they have had. The power of perspective is so important in today's really like haphazard world that we're in. It's, I struggle so much with having to turn off work and pay attention to the people that I love who are right in front of me. So I think that Judy has done a fantastic job of giving us a roadmap on how to do that and what's important in our life. It is a wonderful summer read. I encourage you to pick it up. Um, also, feel free to you know jump in and listen to her podcast, So Good, and check out her other books as well. And Judy's a fantastic speaker. So if you're looking for somebody who can, you know, come and bring some excitement and some joy and some really great wisdom to your event, whatever it is, she is your gal. So I hope that you enjoy this podcast episode. I really enjoyed my session with Judy and I loved this book. I've already passed it on to two other people. All right. Here we go. What a great interview I have today. I'm so excited. Judy Gammon is here with me and she is an award-winning author, a publisher. She has a radio show and she manages this fantastic general practice in Texas. So she is a busy woman. I am so glad that you were able to come here today. Hey, Judy. Hello, thank you so much for bringing me on. And I, I'm looking forward to this conversation so much. So Judy has a wonderful book that came out in the middle of COVID and it is called Love, Life and Lucille. So first and foremost, it's a great summer read. You have to pick this up. You will laugh, you will cry, you will be uncomfortable. You will face a lot of things in your own life. It is one of those books that kind of packs everything in. And Judy, I just have to really like take it back for us a little bit, you know, where did you get the idea for this book? And how did this all come about? Well, it's a 
kind of a very interesting story. So as part of my my position, now my position has changed. I'm now the CEO, but at the time I was a director of business development for Executive Medicine of Texas. And part of what I had to do was work on on books and, and things we were writing together, myself and the physicians. And I said, let's do a book called Age to Perfection, How to Thrive to 100 Happy, Healthy and Wise. They're like, oh, this is great. Let's do it. So as I was taking all the research in and kind of going through what is it about um, living to 100 that we know through science? What is it, you know, we know from history? What are some of the other people that have reported on it, like the studies on the blue zones right. and such? And then I one day just said, you know what? Why don't I just find a bunch of people over 100 and ask them? And that that was the beginning of the change of my life. I had no idea that where that was going to take me. I had a writing assistant. And I said to her, Emily, look, I want you to go out and I want you to find people over 100. Now, they can't be drooling on themselves. They got to remember, you know, the conversation. And they got to be able to give me consent to interview them, all these things. And I'm really thinking I gave her like this impossible task. I'm like, you know, yeah. maybe if we were in Japan, this would be easier, but we're in the United States. I was shocked that within like a week, she said, okay, I've got five of them. I'm like, what? Wow. Like, you've got five already? She says, yes, but there is this one and you are not going to believe it. She is so hard to get on her social calendar. She's got duplicate bridge. She's got residence council and she says she'll fit you in on Friday. And I'm <laughs> like, oh, okay, I'm going to be fit in. Okay, this sounds great. And the moment, and I describe it in the book, the moment we met for the first time, but the moment this person was in front of me, the moment I saw Lucille Fleming, I absolutely could not believe my eyes. I mean, she had a smile from ear to ear. She was dressed to the nines. Her personality was larger than life. She kind of reminded me of like old Hollywood. Yeah. And she could remember everything. And her mind was just amazing. Maybe that's, you know, what helped her always win Duplicate Bridge. But it was like a steel trap. And we just started out with this interview. Okay, tell me, you know, how did you get to 100? What would you say are the most important things? And she, she was so kind and so gracious. And when I left that interview, I thought, oh my gosh, I, I just want to spend more time with this person. Mm -hmm. And I, I just knew there was like something really special about her, almost like I feel like I was meeting like an angel or something. And I did go back and and I told her I, need, I had a few more questions. Of course, I forgot to write any questions down or anything. And mm -hmm. and she just said, you know, you don't have to re have a reason to come see me. You can just come visit. And so that's what happened. We started getting together on Fridays and it, it was just so amazing. And then when the Age to Perfection book came out, I was doing an interview on Good Morning Texas and, and they said, hey, do you think maybe one of these centenarians will go on with you? And so I, you know, I asked her, hey, um, I don't know if you're up for this. And are you kidding me? Oh, my yeah. gosh. She jumped up. She was so excited. She ran to her closet. She's throwing all these clothes around. You know, what am I going to wear? I'm so excited. I can get my nails done. I got to wear false eyelashes. I mean, just the whole thing. Yeah, it was it was so cute and it was so much fun. And really that friendship, it was just a life-changing friendship. Even when I look back now at it, I think, gosh, the Judy before Lucille is so different than the Judy after Lucille. She mm -hmm. really came into my life and, and just changed me in so many ways. 
do you think that this was planned for you to meet Lucille and to, you know, take a different path? A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, people say, you know, the same thing. People say, well, it was just kind of by chance. I'm like, I no, this was no. not, this was not by chance. I, I really yeah. firmly believe God had a plan. And, and that he, totally comes through in the book too. Yeah. For sure. As yeah. you're watching this whole thing unfold before your very eyes and, and audience, Judy is very skilled at, you know, just leading the story out one piece at a time. It's wonderful. Oh, You're hanging you on so every much. chapter for sure. <laughs> well, in fact, you. I remember at the beginning of the book, weren't you talking to her in that first meeting about her birthday party? And she pulled out this fabulous gown that she had worn. Oh, yeah. I actually have the gown. Um, it, it, it's this gold layered gown. And if, if the book turns into a movie, I'm going to insist that this gown be in the, in the movie. <laughs> um, you know, it's just... Uh, yeah, that's that's what she was. She was so full of life, and that's what she did. She said, "Hold on, I got to show you something." She comes out. She's dancing around, holding this this dress to her. Not at all what I pictured is. I, I'm going to meet these people over a hundred, and and she literally was the first one of the people I had met um, that Emily had set up for me to talk to, and I just was like. I kept thinking, you know, like on the Wizard of Oz, pull back the curtain. Where's the right. man behind the curtain? Is this real? Am I being punked? You know, this is person really a hundred. But as we spent time together, it was so clear that maybe she wasn't a um, hundred in her spirit, but she was definitely a hundred in her wisdom. Yeah. Well, you have to read the book to get that wisdom and to find out what the number one thing is. So we're not going to tell you today, but... There are a few other things in this story that I really do want to chat about. One of them is your preconceived ideas going in. You were so honest in the book about that, you know, what you thought you were walking into when you were meeting these hundred year old people and, you know, how Lucille really changed your point of view, if you will. Um, and I know that you are, uh, a healthy living expert. And, you know, again, you wrote a book about that. Um, so can you talk to me a little bit about how you, your preconceived ideas um, were really shifted by this, even right from the beginning, this meeting with Lucille? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, not to be too graphic for, for your viewers and listeners, but I really thought they're going to smell like urine. You know, mm -hmm. they're they're probably going to have some rotten teeth. Um, the hair will be messy. I, I really had these visions of of what I thought it was going to be like. And maybe it's because my first job was in a nursing home. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of knew the, the dark and dirty side of, of old. But I had never really experienced the beautiful, wonderful, tender side of old. So that was that was a totally new experience for me. And when I was happily <laughs> surprised, yeah. um, it actually changed my own idea about, about living a long time. You know, we say we want to live a long time, but when we think about what those years look like, you know, 80, right. 90, even 100, it gave me hope, and I know it's given so many readers hope, that, hey, maybe I do want to live a long time because maybe I'm going to have this much fun when I'm 100 and maybe even more. And, and Lucille mm -hmm. just lived every every day of her life as as if, you know, she was fully expecting 
to enjoy her day. She bought green bananas. You know, that I, I talk about right. that in the book. Like when I walked the in, the first thing bananas. I noticed is she's got green bananas. Okay, yeah. she's gonna be around a while. Right. She right. laid out her clothes every night, fully expecting that she was gonna wake up the next day and put them on. Yeah. Definitely changes your perspective on things. I know that in the book you confront the um the ugly side of getting old and how our society treats people as well as, you know, what the options are for people. So you mentioned you were worried about, gee, are they going to smell? Are they, you know, not going to have their hair done? They're going to have maybe missing a few teeth. Mm -hmm. And really it's the options that people have for support that lead them down that path. It, Everyone could look and feel as beautiful as Lucille if we properly supported our aging community. So can we talk a little bit about some of the things that you discovered? I'm actually excited that we're talking about it. A lot of my interviews, you know, they want to talk about the fluff and they want to talk about the pretty stuff, but they really don't want to talk about this. And and one thing you probably picked up on my writing is I'm very descriptive. I, I bring right. the the reader really into it. I mean, the smells, the sights, the sounds, all of it. Unfortunately, I also do that when I go into these rehab centers and these nursing homes mm -hmm. and things. And and there was a, a time where Lucille had to go from the hospital into some kind of rehab, rehab. Of a fall. she had to do some rehab. And just walking into these centers, I it, first of all, it took me back to, to when I was young and um, that first job at 16. And yeah. it's almost like the, the pit of hell. Uh, you know, I, I, I hate to describe it that way, but there's howling and there's, you know, noises and, and beeps and there's nothing pretty about it. Right. There's fluorescent lighting, there's hard floors, there's the smells that are putrid and it's a terrifying place. There's not enough light. We don't let enough light into these places. You just go down these halls and corridors and it, it really terrified me, um, mm -hmm. just terrified me. And I thought, here's this person and by this point we've been friends for for a couple years i mean several years and right. and it's weird to say i met her at 100 and we were we were friends so long but she <laughs> died just shy of her 104th birthday so we were a good three years into this friendship and attached to the hip every minute and i thought i i can't do this i can't i can't take someone who i love who i i just cherish and allow them to be here. Um, yeah. I, I remember I got goosebumps as you were writing about your, uh, you went to visit a place while Lucille was in the hospital. And the first place she had been in was not great at all. And then you went to visit another place, if I'm remembering the story correctly. And you were, you weren't even, you wouldn't even like finish the tour. You were like, oh, I think I'm done. And I'm done. You, you were describing, if I'm remembering correctly, two young nurses aides who were outside smoking and you know it was just everything was just so awful you couldn't picture her there at all yeah and it just so, felt dirty and it it felt it, it it just was somewhere i wouldn't want to be right and how could i take someone and put them somewhere i wouldn't want to be and i just thought you know we've got this backwards in a lot of countries we, we see that they really love their elderly. They're inspired by their elderly. They lift 
the elderly up. The seniors have the wisdom. Right. And there's something so backwards about our society where, you know, you're in a, an actor in a film <laughs> and suddenly you're an expert on every topic. Uh, or you have a, a lot of followers on a social media platform and suddenly your opinion matters. But these people that have lived so long that have made mistakes and then also done wonderful things, they just have so much inside yes. of them. So much. Yes. I find this to be so similar in the disability community where, you know, we just completely devalue people and we think they have nothing to contribute to society. They have nothing to give to me. There's, you know, they become just less than human to all of us. And we just don't want to look at it, Judy, you know, and yeah. you looked and not only that, but you fell in love. And that was just so beautiful. Well, thank you. You know, I remember this time and I, I'm pretty sure I wrote about this in the book. I don't think it got edited out, but we were in the hospital and the doctor came around and I was asking him some questions. He's like, oh, are you her daughter? And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm her best friend. He goes, well, you know, I can't really talk to you. I said, well, I, I'm on her medical power of attorney. I was um, on there with her son, one of her sons. And I said, because this particular son's in California, I'm here. And he's just, he said, well, that's, that's weird. And I thought, why, why is that weird? And then I had, I heard him and a nurse actually talking behind the curtain and they found it so peculiar that I cared about this person, but I wasn't related. Right. And it was almost like accusatory like why would what why, are you after yeah what is she after what does she want and i'm just sitting there thinking this is this is so crazy that that if you are kind and you just have a really true friend and you just are there as her advocate that that's weird you know that that is so out of the norm that somebody would give up their time give up their their resources to to take care of someone simply because they're you love them just because they're part of your life right and, and i'll never forget how that felt to be sitting there and i don't know if they didn't realize that curtain is not soundproof but listening to, <laughs> to that conversation and thinking what are, what, what are they thinking mm -hmm. um it, it went nowhere and there was no more conversations about it but i i did find it odd yeah. So on that note, you, you had written in the book that um, one of the things that Lucille taught you was that everyone needs to feel noticed, loved and encouraged. Mm -hmm. And we should never be too busy to make that a top priority. So I just love that. Again, that resonates with me um, with the, the, the disability community at large. And you go on from there too, though, because you're not only saying that you're doing for her, you're giving to her because many times we have, we pat ourselves on the back for, oh, weren't we so kind to our grandparents or our elderly aunt because we did this for them. We never think about that they can actually still give to us too, that this is a reciprocal relationship and you make that quite clear. And that's what's so different about your book and what you experienced was because you you let it in so that it would be a reciprocal relationship again 
just looking at the disability community, same thing happens all the time. We always look at what we have to do to take care of them, but we don't think about, well, what are they giving to us? Where, you know, what does that look like as a reciprocal relationship? And that's again, dehumanizing and devaluing people when all we have to do is take care of their bodies, get them from this place to this place, et cetera. So talk to me a little bit about being too busy to make this a top priority, because that was another theme in your book, especially right in the beginning. You talked about how you were, um, you know, struggling with workahol, being a workaholic. Yeah, it's it's really been a third generation issue in my family. Both my my mother, my mother was an RN, D-O-N. Um, so I grew up and I, I mentioned, you know, my childhood in nursing homes. I grew up around that. Right. But she was always on call. I remember when it went from calling the house to beepers, <laughs> sharing my age a little bit now, you know, <laughs> it's kind of before we had cell phones. But it was, um, it was interesting because my, when my parents divorced, my dad had been a journeyman pipe fitter, so he wasn't home a lot, and he'd be on these long shifts, and a lot of times he'd be out of town. So I grew up with that kind of work ethic. My my dad's dad was an engineer at Edison, and yeah, you know, eat, sleep, and breathe his, his his job, and his identity was that he was an engineer. And so this kind of goes you know, so deep and same thing on my mother's side. My great grandfather was an engineer and same thing. I mean, he, he was all about being an engineer and that was his life. And, and I thought, you know, I, like I mentioned earlier that the Judy before Lucille and the Judy after Lucille are two different people. But if, in the moment before I met Lucille, I thought, I knew I had all the answers. I knew what was going on. Keep your head down, keep your, your shoulder to the wheels and right. push along, push along. And I was just, you know, going forward, going forward. And and I didn't even really stop to to get to know people um, on a, a real level, uh, even until I met Lucille, where we could be in, and you recognize this, I'm sure from the book, but we could be in a restaurant in five minutes she could get someone's life story out of them. I mean, yeah. it she was, was really good at downloading people <laughs> for sure. And and I just thought there are all these wonderful people all around. And I'm just so focused on myself and my career and all these things I need to do on my big giant important to-do list yes. that I wasn't really paying much attention. And that changed so much mm -hmm. uh, when I was with Lucille and it's continued on. It's really helped me in my role. And I think as well, I mentioned earlier that I was a director of business development. I'm the CEO. I think the lessons that Lucille taught me about people and how to relate to people and how mm -hmm. to handle problems and all of these things, I I think about them all the time. I mean, there's so much Lucille in my decision-making that it's, it's incredible. I was actually thinking a lot about that too, as I was sort of remembering um, my journey with my daughter and um, my Elizabeth, for those of you who are new to listening, uh, was very profoundly disabled and she passed at 17, nine years ago she was somebody who, um, you know, she 
was blind and she was intellectually disabled and she was a wheelchair user. Um, and she, you know, really couldn't do much for herself. But she really forced me to look at what does it mean to be a successful human being? Because kind of like you and like your parents, I was just very driven, you know, law school, MBA, this, this is what you have to do. And you're successful when you have the money and the job and the power and the title and the right car and the right house and the perfect family. And, you know, this is what it looks like. And my first born, born at, at 29 weeks, two pounds, preemie, she challenged every notion I had about what it means to be a successful person. And as I was reading through the book, I'm getting that from you as well. Like mm -hmm. she, Lucille just upended your whole idea of what <laughs> success means, right? She did. She absolutely did. You know, you're going one direction in life and suddenly someone flips you around <laughs> yeah. and now you're going in a different direction. And it's, is it's great. Um, and afterwards, it, I'm so great, grateful. I'm so thankful that I had Lucille in my life. And, and I have to focus on that rather than the years that I regret that I didn't have, I wasn't going in the same direction. So what is your perspective on um, maintaining a, a lasting friendship? So many of us struggle with that as adults. Well, I think one thing that that we really need to recognize is that the definition of friendship and friends has has changed. And we think, oh, if they like my stuff on social on media Instagram, and give me a little right? thumbs up, then uh, oh, that's my friend. That's right. that's not what a friend is. That's that's an acquaintance. And yep. you know, those are people you know. But friendship is so different and so much more. And I, I've had friends. I've had um, some wonderful friends in my life. But I've never had a best friend like I did in Lucille. Mm -hmm. And really, Lucille and I didn't always agree on everything. So, but we discussed everything. You know, we would have differences of opinions, maybe politically or historical things or it, it, I, I mean, I talk about this in the book. It's kind of funny. Like, I'm like, you need to go try sushi. She's like, sushi. I'm like, no, you can't die not eating sushi. So, you know, just <laughs> even like things like that, our life experiences, some of those life experiences are, are so different, but the human experience, the human experience is the same. We all right. have our first love. We've all felt loss. We've all really screwed up. We've all won some, some we had some win in our life we won something yes. and and we've got something to, to be proud of and there these are the things that make up a life and a true friend a best friend is the person that you you really truly share those moments with so you share either the memory of those moments or you share in the moment or you look forward to the future moment of those things mm -hmm. i'll give a, an example with lucille and I, I think it's so important that when we have a dream or a goal that we say it out loud. And I also think it's important that we ask people out loud, you know, is there anything you want to be doing right now? Because if we don't ever, we never say it, it doesn't happen. And with Lucille, I said, well, is there anything, you know, that you haven't been able to do? And she says, well, 
you know, I love the Rangers. By the way, we can never go out of the Rangers run. It was like a thing. <laughs> like it wasn't happening. And so uh, she's like, you know, I love the Rangers. I think I'd like to throw out the first pitch. And oh so and it was it was, it was so wonderful. There was there was a wonderful woman named Karen, and Karen happened to know somebody, and we're talking, and and just it, it wouldn't happen without Karen's help, but it it happened. And she did. She went out. She threw out the first pitch. She was so wonderful that my friend Doreen, who had since moved back to Australia, who is in the book when she was out yeah. on media tour with Lucille and I, um, she called me. She says, "Oh, you know," in her very Australian accent. Oh my gosh, I'm watching TMZ and Lucille's on TMZ. <laughs> she, she's throwing out the first pitch, and so it, it was. It was that kind of moment where you have somebody verbalize a dream and you yes. get to be part of making that dream come true and you get to live in that moment of that dream yeah it's the best feeling ever and it wasn't my dream right. and i think it was actually felt better to watch her dream come true than me having my own dream it just seems so strange but i never really experienced that before where someone said i'd really like to do this and then yeah you know, okay, how do we move mountains and, and make this happen? And then it happens and it's just so magical. And yeah. I just love it. And then she made the uh, the reel. So at the end, you know, they're trying to sell season tickets for the next season. She was on right. the reel and oh my gosh, it was just so hysterical. If you know anything about, about older people is there's always someone who kind of rises to the top and she she became like a celebrity <laughs> where she lived because she's like oh, you're on tv you're on tv again oh my gosh oh are you guys going out where are you going what are you doing yeah. and they were a lot of them were just kind of living vicariously through through lucille's experiences and through the things that that we were doing together so uh i can't say enough about about that subject of dreaming verbalizing your dreams asking mm -hmm. other people what their dreams are and then helping those dreams become a reality we're not here forever so yeah. you know now it's it's a good time right now to, to start is. doing that right now judy i just did a circle of care which is my facebook group uh free facebook group and i asked them what is your goal like what is your dream dream big you know what can i do to help you make your dreams come true today and we just went through this whole exercise because so many people just don't dream anymore yeah. and they don't ask. And for a lot of older people, which we mentioned at the beginning also of the show, they're just not seen. We don't mm -hmm. even think of them as still having dreams. We never ask. Yeah, we it's so true. To. You know, I, I'm glad that you brought this this up about the the older people. When my, my book first came out, it came out in the middle of the pandemic and there was this amazing book tour that was about to come out and I couldn't wait and I was going to do something with the Texas Rangers I was going to do something with the Four Seasons I mean all these things were were happening and they were being planned and they all got canceled like right. book came COVID. out in April so the, everything yeah. just started getting canceled and I I had to make a decision am I going to be miserable and cry i think i, I did mm -hmm. i cried i cried one day you know maybe an hour long and then i was like you know what okay this is it is what it is so what do you and i actually verbalize this hello lucille what am i supposed to do with this book and um you know between lucille and god i i got my answer it was like all these people are stuck inside 
that are they're only they don't have a friend take them to lunch with us and i was like oh that's a great idea <laughs> so, so i went and i took a lot of boxes and cases of books to uh independent living centers and just said hey you know what you know give give these to people who especially the ones that are in there by themselves you know don't have a spouse they're behind a closed door and you know the meals were being left and and the people would have to walk away and they'd open the door they weren't seeing people's faces and now we know all the science behind how damaging that is where where they're not actually communicating one-on-one and and even things like like zoom and facetime and all of that your brain doesn't react the same way as it does to a 3d someone right in front of you a conversation so i I really got a kick out of that and and i felt like that that's exactly why it happened and you know so many people had had written letters back or um you know the feedback that these places got that just said this this was good you know this this was good and i just thought I don't think I would have had this good of a feeling. I mean, it would have been nice to be at these events and speaking and, yeah. and this, that, and the other. But it was something so um, precious about in in having having a, everyone have a seat at the table with this. And it's such a yeah. difficult time. I so feel that. That's tremendous. So as usual, we're out of time. But I cannot let this conversation go without talking to you about what does it take to live to 100? Now, I know you don't want to give us that number one thing, but what other things did you learn? What gems did you learn about what it takes to live to 100? Well, you know, while I was interviewing um, several people over 100, there were some commonalities. Mm-hmm. And I thought there's a, there's this thread, this through line, and um, that thread just carried right through. And some of those things were they all exercised. You know, what that looked like was a little bit different for everybody. There right. was this this wonderful Southern woman. I loved this. She had never missed going to the gym. And when she couldn't do the weights anymore, she just did the machines without the weights. And she mm-hmm. said, I just got to keep my machine oiled. And I thought, yes. that, is, that is great. Lucille was very similar. You know, when she was in the Independent Living Center, she said, I always chose the farthest apartment from the dining hall. That way, even if I didn't feel good that day, I was forced to to do a long walk. And she so walked brilliant. Through. Yeah, it, yeah, it was so smart. You know, it was kind of like a new spin on the park than the farthest parking spot away from the grocery store, right? Right. So, um, and and they all were very good at eating fresh fruits and vegetables. Like this, this was a common thing with all of them, um, but. Another one that wasn't really surprising, but I think it surprises some people when I do these interviews, is that they all had faith. They weren't of the same religion, right? But they all had faith. And when I put my, you know, my medical or health mind on, it's that giving up all that stress because you got somebody to give it up to and yes. not carrying it all. And I think yes, that, yes. that was so important for all yeah. of them. Yeah, that that's amazing. And, you know, as you mentioned, the fresh food, that's another thing that a lot of our older generations struggle with in these congregate care settings, getting oh, fresh yeah. food, good food, healthy food. It, it's difficult. I mean, they, they tend it's all to coming claim, out of cans. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they claim that they are, you know, 
under these strict dietary rules, but having many family members go through this, I can say for sure in my experiences that the food has not been that good. No, not healthy. Certainly not. So anyhow, I am so glad that you were able to come today. Audience, you really have to get this book. It's tremendous. And I think that you will resonate there's something in there for everybody and you will see your own story, your own family. You'll, you'll find something in there and just have that same aha moment that I did multiple times over in this book. You will laugh, you will cry. Trust me, you're going to cry. You know, there's, uh, there's some moments in there that are very touching and you're just going to enjoy it all around. And Judy, I'm so glad that you were able to make it today. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I just wanted to take a second to say how much I appreciate you taking the time to listen to these podcasts. I'm having a blast doing them, and I hope that you're finding the content to be what you were really hoping. If you are, please take a second to leave a rating and a review. It's so helpful in getting this content out to people who really need to hear it. Thank you so much.